the two things that you're controlling in another person, even if you're having a great conversation, I'm controlling chemicals and electricity. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mentors. Today we have on Chase Hughes, the top behavioral expert in the U.S., the author of the Ellipsis Manual, and the creator of the Behavioral Table of Elements. In this episode, we discuss why we do what we do, how to read others, and why authority trumps over persuasion. I learned so much from this episode, and I know you guys will too. Not only that, there's so much more to learn, and Chase Hughes was kind enough to provide extra resources for you guys down in the description below. I hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mentors. Today, we have on Chase Hughes. Chase, thank you so much for being on. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks, Ava. Thank you. And, you know, the first place I wanted to start was, you know, your origin story. How did you start what you're starting, and where did you come from, and how did you get here? I um, am now, I think, of the number one behavior profiler or behavior science expert in the U.S., and it started when I was 19 years old. I was living in Hawaii, and there is a bar in Hawaii called Kelly O'Neill's, and they let in people that were under 21, so it's kind of where I hung out. And some girl there at the bar had turned me down one night, and it, I was perplexed, so I went home that evening, and I went on Google, and I typed in how to tell when girls like you. I think I burned out a couple of printer cartridges. I turned it, uh, just burned out my printer, just a giant stack of paper. I locked myself in the house for weeks and weeks. Just, I wanted to master this. I wanted to, uh, I think it, it stemmed from me just wanting more choice instead of being chosen at that age. And I became obsessed. So then like I started being able to see people uh, see their vulnerabilities, see when they were being deceptive, see when they're being fake or, or they were feeling insecure. And it uh, just being able to see through people's social masks, uh, I never felt superior. It just felt like they were, it humanized everyone uh, to where at that age, I was had a little bit of social anxiety and, and people just stopped being threatening to me. Wow. And I wound up getting my uh, degree in psychology and uh, writing books about it and then teaching interrogation classes and stuff like that. That is extremely interesting that when you kind of started to understand people, the fear of people went away. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more you see, like um, if you start seeing people for their insecurities and see that first, So you see that guy with the big jacked up, huge truck with bumper stickers all over it. Like you you stop seeing uh, what other people would just say is a douchebag or something like that. Uh, But you'd see that guy's need for attention and you'd see him begging like, please, somebody, please uh, confirm that I'm really strong and really powerful. Just the need, uh, need for confirmation. And it, you don't, I mean, as long as you can see it without judgment, it'll change your life to be able to see people like that. How are you able to, is it visual, is like, is it just on a visual identification level? Is it when you start to talk to them, you start to get a good sense of who you are? Like, how do you break someone down so well? How do you really like understand like their vulnerabilities? If I could encapsulate that into five minutes, I'd be a rich guy. But, uh, 
I would say uh, if you wanted to start and if you wanted to start seeing people differently is listen to the words they use. When you ask questions in a conversation, instead of just job questions like where do you work? What do you do? That kind of thing. Like, oh, you work over at Starbucks. Like what, what's your favorite part of that job? And then you get to see um, how they answer that question. That's going to identify what their needs are. And those, and I have a needs map that I've published on the website where you can just type in Google Images, Chase Hughes needs map. And um, we have the three primary needs of appreciation, approval, or acceptance. And then some people need power or connection with other people. They need to be seen as being really intelligent. Uh, so usually within a few seconds, if you just pay attention to somebody in an interaction, you'll hear them either talk about one of their needs or you'll see it openly displayed. Somebody who obviously dresses to break from the norms. Like I try really hard to break away and look like I don't fit in. Obviously that person needs uh, uh, to be appreciated and they have a need to be seen as very unique, being stand, standing out from the crowd. And you can either use those needs to help them in a conversation or make fun of them or or feel superior to them. And I think that uh, once we start seeing people, it's just like, we're all screwed up. Everyone is screwed up. Everyone is suffering. Um, and if you lose sight of the fact that we, like I am also suffering, like, so I'm not seeing this guy as some weak, uh, weakling. I'm seeing him as more like me. And I think it humanizes people as long as you can see it without judgment but yeah listening to people when they answer questions will usually within a minute or two uh, reveal some of their really strong needs that drive probably most of their life wow that's such a powerful thing that i've never noticed and you bring up a very buddhist uh buddhist you know um ideology of we all suffer and how that can really um humanize someone and you can become more empathetic to them and want to help them and want to um love them instead of judge them or hate them so yes. honestly, I think that this can really impact people's lives in the fact that people can't, don't have to be like scary or rude or mean. People are people and we're much more similar than we are not. I really agree. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's surprising to see at the very beginning. And uh, there's one thing when I, when I get my elite students or I, I teach an elite class, uh, even like intelligence type of people when they start going through this training of how to see all this stuff it's sad at the beginning see that uh, most of our behaviors are designed to avoid some kind of suffering so that let's go back to the guy with the big truck and I'm not I don't want people commenting on your video who own big trucks I'm not eating them all with the same brush but just using that as an example here um, going back to that that guy who has the big truck, that guy needs some kind of attention. And that attention is a way to avoid some kind of suffering. And if you can discover that through a conversation, maybe the, the suffering is uh, he fears abandonment. He fears being seen as weak. He fears social criticism, or he fears being seen as somebody uh, that can be challenged. Wow. Physically. So usually, um, like the guys who wear like over the top MMA stuff and they talk about all their MMA experience all the time. Um, you'll see these behaviors and it's not just fighting and stuff like that, but you'll see these like outlandish behaviors are usually designed to ward off people uh, based off of fear. And 
it goes back to it's all animals. The smallest dogs usually bark the most. You are completely right in that. And how, like, when these people, your students, when they start to realize that they have all these behavioral tactics, they you know they do what they do because they're avoiding something. Do they ever kind of come to the conclusion of, wow, I think I need to work on myself and fix myself? Is there a good amount of like self-awareness that comes after that? I think, yes, there's a tremendous amount of self-awareness and I think it's too much at the beginning. Oh, wow. I started studying body language and I would just overly monitor everything I was doing. I would say, oh shoot, that's a that's an anxiety gesture. Oh, this, is, this means I'm self-conscious, I need to drop my arms. So it was just 90% of my mental capacity was just wasted on me trying to monitor myself to the point where I wasn't really giving off good body language because I wasn't even participating in the conversation. I wasn't able to just be in front of my eyes. Uh, I was just living behind my eyes. And I think you kind of overmanage and there's a, there's a point like where you just kind of overmanage yourself and then that falls off at the end and you just kind of like, screw it. You know, I'm just going to let go. And I think that helps at, at that point, just that making that decision to let go is what gives you a little bit more authenticity as well. And it makes it easier to connect with people as well. I, you know, I bet it does because I mean, it just because you just become a different person after realizing yourself and then others because connection seems like a lot easier. Like, but I know for a fact, one of the a bigger, like a really big problem, um, especially for like younger generations. And as you get older, sometimes it's still, you know, it still occurs, but having that self-awareness, um, of external and internal and what it sounds like is that you know when you start to notice external things it could reveal internal things how do we start to notice our own behaviors and then how do we change things for the better or adjust when needed i uh there's two two answers to that um there's one thing that i have in in my upcoming book but i'll like no one needs to buy it but the, it's called behavior applied to everything or B-A-T-E. So if you kind of examine the way you pay your taxes, the way you've been in relationships in the past, the way you communicate with your parents, the way that you behave when you're at work, uh, the way you communicate to your boss at work, the way you pay your bills, all of that stuff will have similar behaviors that kind of gets you really similar results throughout your life. And if you were to do just a a 15 minute examination, you can get years of positive results out of it and just kind of figure out what are your recurring behaviors that, that might sabotage or lessen the effectiveness of stuff that you're doing. Like, do you watch Netflix a little too late on a regular basis? What, does that also mean that you wait a little bit too long to pay your taxes or maybe wait until the deadline? And if you do that, you probably show up to work right on time or you might be the type of person that works just hard enough not to get fired. So you'll see a lot of this recurring uh, behaviors. And I'm not just talking about negative ones, you'll see recurring positive ones. So identifying the negative ones doesn't mean you have to work on them. Just knowing they're there helps a lot. And knowing that they're present throughout most of your life, um, your brain will kind of just work on that by itself. And, and once you're more aware of it, you've got a, you've got a little firmer grip on the control knob to start turning those down. Okay. That's okay. That's actually really helpful because it sounds like, cause you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you kind of ask yourself a lot of questions on what you do or why you do it. And then like that can kind of peel back some layers. Sure. 
it, it really does. And there's one, uh, the document I, I sent to you earlier, I'll let you release that to your listeners. It'll mm-hmm. be the first time it's publicly released. Uh, it's a, a self-assessment sheet that took me about four years of research to, to put together. And there's, there's five traits, there's five behavioral traits that you can develop uh, to give yourself authority to where you can persuade and influence other people. Even if you don't know all the persuasion tactics, authority is usually more important. We can get into that if you want to. And those are confidence, discipline, leadership, gratitude, and enjoyment. Yeah. That was actually one of my biggest questions is, you know, what encompasses authority and then how do you obtain it? Because it's such a valuable thing nowadays to be able to, I don't want to say command, but to be able to have that authority. Um, And people, you know, when you talk, they listen. Um, and for people to want to follow you, because you don't have to like desperately ask, please look at what I do, please, you know, how do you, how do you get authority? That I would say that the checklist that I sent you goes on mm-hmm. a one to five scale. Those are the five qualities. If you have like, if you're a level five on all of those qualities, uh, you, you will have authority. Mm-hmm. Those are confidence, discipline, leadership, gratitude, and enjoyment. And those are after a tremendous amount of research. Uh, But there are triggers in other people that those behaviors, those five behaviors, set off five triggers in other people. And those are movement. So the way you move your body. Uh, And and there's there's two ways you can kind of do movement. There's one way where I teach you, okay, you need to stand up straight. You need to walk like this, be more comfortable swinging your arms. Don't quit touching your chest, quit touching your face during conversation. So I give you all of these tips on how to move correctly, or you have so much discipline and confidence in your life that you don't think about moving, and then you do all of those confident movements automatically. So those behaviors are a byproduct of having all of the all of your basically having your stuff together and having your life together. People who have their life together move like that, not because they decide to move like that, but because it's a byproduct of just having your stuff together. Wow. So can you break down each element of authority, the discipline, the confidence, the enjoyment, and explain, you know, why they're so important and necessary to getting what you need or what you want? I think uh, in any, any situation, authority is extremely important, even if you're in a job interview and or if you're getting a speeding ticket and you'd like to get out of it or you're meeting new people or you're meeting someone that you met on Tinder. It doesn't matter uh, what situation you're in. Authority plays a a really vital role in how the entire world responds to you. What are you smiling? What was that? Me? (laughs) Yeah. I just think it's interesting. Okay. Also, it's me trying to yawn and keep my mouth closed while I yawn. Okay. Because I I hate to, you know, I don't know. It's It's a thing that I've learned how to do is just to yawn without opening my mouth. So... I, but I'm also smiling because I think it's really interesting. I just get so hype over this stuff. It's really cool. But I think <laughs> once, uh, if you're able to reach a level four or a level five on these traits, well, let's talk about confidence. The confidence is just certainty that that stuff's going to work out well. That's it. I've got a, a kick-ass reputation with myself. That's all that is. I know that I will, I will get it done. Yeah. Discipline means that you have a self-discipline. It doesn't just mean other people's discipline. It means self-discipline. I shortened it a little bit. But it means I, 
I go out to a, uh, a networking event, I go out to a job interview and think of the last time for, and especially for your listeners, think of the last time you went out to a social event, but you left that five foot pile of laundry completely unfolded or that sink full of dishes or the bill that you didn't pay, but you're going to go out and blow the money that you need to, to pay that bill. There's a tiny part of your brain that's dedicated to remembering I am an irresponsible person. <laughs> it reminds you throughout the night. So let's say you did, you left laundry in the bed and you're having a great conversation and three feet away, someone else is having a conversation and they say the word laundry, bam, that reminds you everything. And that leaks out in your words. It leaks out through your facial expressions. It leaks out through your body language. And it leaks out in a way the other person doesn't have to be a body language expert. We've all had that experience where someone's extremely confident, but we have that feeling like, eh, you know, something's not right. Something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't match. And when you don't have that match, when your behavior is not congruent with how you're appearing externally, something is offset and you'll trigger that like distrust in other people. So even if I taught you all of the really cool body language stuff on how to exude confidence, it's going to seem fake to another person's unconscious mind because something isn't matching up. They have that feeling they can't put their finger on it, but they know something isn't right. That's crazy that we're so fine tuned to these things. How do you, how do you build trust in someone though? What do you, uh, what do you mean? I think, well, I think another valuable asset to not just, you know, authority and leadership in general, overall human connection uh, would be, you know, would be gaining that trust. And I know for some people it's like, I will trust you until I don't trust you. Or it's like, I'm not going to trust you, but you're going to have to gain and earn it. How do you go through, um, I guess that process or how do you understand like how to gain that trust and how to recognize, or do you trust me right now? Okay. So let's, uh, and we're talking about a stranger or someone, you know, um, I think it would always start off with, yeah, we can go with stranger. Let's go with stranger. So let's say you set a doctor's appointment and you go into the doctor's office and it's a new doctor. You haven't met him before. And five minutes later, he's jamming a piece of steel under your butt cheek. That's trust. And you trust that stranger because they have a tremendous amount of authority. They're wearing a lab coat. So authority creates trust all by itself. Uh, if you uh, get stopped on the street by a homeless guy, your first instinct is how, how the hell am I going to get away from this guy? I need to, I need to keep moving quickly. Mm -hmm. But if, if the same guy goes and gets a $200 uh, haircut and puts on like a $10,000 suit and stops you in the street, you're going to stop and you'll listen to what he has to say. So that, that's just part of the authority experience that just having all of your all of your ducks in a row, having your stuff together, gives off that uh, those authority trust signals. So just, just as an example, uh, we talk about public trust and trusting people without even talking to them. Uh, they did a research study in New York City where people would wait at the crosswalk. You know, there's usually a large crowd of people there at that crosswalk, just waiting across some main street. I don't know what the name of the street is, but they had this guy in a t-shirt and blue jeans. And when it said you can't cross, but there weren't any cars coming, the guy would just say, screw it. And I'm going to walk across a couple people would follow him. So they did this hundreds and hundreds of times. Then the guy would go put on a $10,000 suit. Nothing's changed about the guy. 
when he crossed the crosswalk against the signal, like breaking the signal of jaywalking, um, 80% of people that were waiting were more likely to follow him. So he would have, he would go from one or two people to 20, all because of his clothing and all because of his appearance and his demeanor, his posture. So all of that stuff comes together. So think about if he started a conversation with that person after they broke the crosswalk. He's developed trust with them from his appearance and his behavior and his movement. So movement and appearance are the first two triggers inside of our brains to trust someone else. So anytime that we respond to authority, it's based off of num the number one thing that authority is based off of is that we trust that the other person is legitimate authority. That's crazy. I mean, and I was thinking through the scenario myself, I would totally walk across if, you know, a guy in that big, that nice of a suit was going across. Cause if it's the streets of New York, in my mind, it's like, well, looks like he's been here for a while. Looks like he knows what he's doing. Looks like, you know, he has money. I think he knows how to get across the street. I'll, I'll follow. But if it's just some random guy, I'd be like, Ooh, I hope he doesn't get hit. <laughs> yeah. I hope nothing bad happens. Uh, he's got your trust before the conversation begins is, is, is basically what I meant. And it's not, it's not just the clothing, it's how he looks on the outside. So it's that he is, is well kept. And then when you start talking to him, there's a genuine connection. So after movement and appearance, there's confidence, which is not just confidence, how we see uh, someone like their posture is good, but how open they are to communicate with another person. Because confidence also means vulnerability. Because if I'm confident, it means I'm certain of an outcome or I'm certain of myself which means I'm okay being vulnerable. So after conf confidence is connection. So how connected that person is to you and how much they focus on you. So like think of the last time you talked to a CEO or somebody who's extremely well off. Uh, those people have, have gotten to that level of success because they connect. Because as soon as you start the conversation, that person is connected and they're not checking their phone. They're not looking elsewhere. They're really checked in. So those are those are some triggers. There's a few more after that, but those are extreme uh, triggers. And once those are set off in our unconscious, it's not a decision we make. We don't think about, hey, should I trust this guy? Yeah, his suit looks really nice. Our brain does all of that for us. So someone with a suit on who has all of these character traits can literally hijack someone's obedience uh, and, and get obedience from a person without that person even saying, is this a good decision or not? They have no ability to choose. That's insane. I, and I, this might be a little bit of a pivot, but we talked about this before we recorded. It sounds, it sounds awful, but brainwashing someone, influencing someone, getting them to um, do what you, you don't need them to do or want them to do. And again, like you said beforehand, it can be positive. Like if you influence me to go to a, um, you know, to a nice restaurant and it's really good food. I mean, that's, that's brainwashing. So it can be categorized as anything, but is authority also key to that, to that brainwashing, to that, you know, heavily influencing someone? Yeah, I would say uh, as, especially just coming from me, this is after my 20 years almost of research, that authority is more important than influence or persuasion skills 100% of the time. Wow. Uh, and that's the new book I have coming out in December is called Authority, the Human Admin Password. 
and it's specifically titled that because of what we just talked about how people don't really have a choice they'll follow that but let's let's go into some of those persuasion tactics if you want to yeah definitely so the the first thing you want to do anytime you want to persuade somebody is establish focus so let's say uh, you're at uh, Starbucks and you want to uh, communicate with let's say an employee there I always use Starbucks in these examples for some reason so that employee is running scripts so it's basically like you've plugged in an AI character there they've opened that register a thousand times they've asked what you want a thousand times they've yanked the cap off that sharpie marker and written down whatever the, the hell they write on the side of that coffee cup thousands of times so that's an autopilot mode no one that's in autopilot mode has a tremendous amount of focus so let's say like you're driving on a road trip and you're just completely focused on the road and like you're kind of zoned out so you're that means like you're, the front part of your brain the lights have gone down a little bit the back part of your brain since it's memorized all of these behaviors has taken over and said okay uh let me just give you some more. I'll, I'll give Ava a little more ability to pay attention to other stuff. I'm going to take over and do all this. And then you just kind of zone out because you don't want to do anything else. But what's been on on the radio during that time? You have no idea. Exactly. So it's usually gone. So our, our awareness isn't there. So if you, if you want to do this, you need to break someone out of their autopilot. And we're in autopilot about 60 to 70% of the time, all the time. Um, you're out of it right now only because you haven't been podcasting for 10 years. So that's why you have so much focus right now. So a lot of, a lot of your other autopilot skills that'll develop over the years will be like, while I'm talking, you'll be looking away from the camera and reading the next question. You'll be kind of nodding your head as I'm talking, just to make sure that I feel like I'm connecting to you. So those are auto autopilot of a, like a podcast host. There's autopilot of someone who's driving. But there's even autopilot behaviors of being a customer somewhere. It's like I pull my wallet out. The guy says, oh, how are you doing? I say, oh, I'm good. How are you doing? And neither one of us care. And they're ringing stuff up. Let's say it's clothing. The guy's folding the clothes. I'm just kind of looking off into the distance while this person's putting stuff into the bag. No one is checked in. No one's focused. No one's present. Uh, until you break, break the autopilot. Yeah. Breaking the autopilot is anything that's unusual, anything that is that just that they don't hear from other customers or they don't hear from other employees or they don't hear from, you know, anything that breaks the norm of that behavior that your brain says, whoop, this is new. I need to stop using my automatic stuff and get in my the front part of my brain and pay attention to what's going on. How As simple or complex does it have to be? It could be. Um, Let's see, I'll, I'll give you an example that I used this last week. I was checking into a hotel and uh, some assholes were in the other side of the, like the hotel bar making a whole bunch of noise. And uh, it was probably 11, my flight just got in. And I asked the, the girl at the front desk was 100% in autopilot. I didn't really care, but I just felt like I'm getting her out of autopilot for a minute because I wanted to see if I could upgrade my room. So I said, what is like the weirdest thing you've ever seen happen in this lobby? And instantly her like her spine went up, her eyes kind of lit up. She looked right into my eyeballs. She's like, oh my God, let me tell you about this. Just a few weeks ago. And then she went into the story and she was a hundred percent. She was in a human conversation instead of an employee customer conversation. Yeah. Focus okay. first. Okay. And then so focus can be anything that breaks the normality. Yeah. 
And then what's the what's the next step after after you have their attention? Finding a resource would be next. If we're talking about simple grade of, of influence, I'm not, I can't obviously teach you guys how often to blink and how often to breathe, when to touch your lips during your conversation, all of this stuff is a little more advanced, but let's say we'll find a resource. So if I want you to upgrade my room at a hotel, what resources do I need you? What feelings do I want you to have? I want you to feel generosity, uh, maybe compassion, charity, some things like that, real excitement or respect for authority, all of those things. And even after all of those things, if you're working at a hotel and some guy who's there, who like you, you really admire, you know, he's just like a really nice person. And then George Clooney comes in and asks for an upgrade. You're going to give it to the person with social authority. Mm-hmm. Authority matters more than persuasion. Just, to, just so we can keep, I'm going to keep hammering that nail yeah. so everybody kind of understands. So you get them into a good resource. So I could either talk about a, a charity event that I went to, or I could ask them like, hey, do you guys host like a lot of nonprofits here? It seems like you guys do a lot of really good work around the community. So you get them into the mindset before you ask for a question. So if I wanted you to go to a new restaurant, for example, Mm-hmm. I was like, where's, where's like one of the best restaurants that you've been to in the last little bit? And then you, I get you to talk about an experience. So once I get you to talk about the restaurant, it's also going to trigger the memories of how the food tasted. Uh-huh. But I'm trigger, triggering your hunger, right? Or I'm triggering your memories or thoughts about food. And then as soon as I trigger your thoughts about that restaurant, I'll ask you a little bit more about the food. And then you'll, I'll get you to even describe the food a little bit more. So I'm, I'm jamming electricity into that memory just with my words. I'm manipulating the electricity in your brain just by using certain words or asking you certain questions. I'm asking you to remember certain things that I want you to remember. So then I've got you to talk about this restaurant, talk about the food. I've got you in a really open state because I've got you talking about something that's really positive. And I say, oh wow, you really need to try this other place. It's very similar. And then I describe the food over there, or I describe that restaurant. So I've, I've jammed electricity into the restaurant part of your brain before I try to ask you to go to this new restaurant. Yeah. That is, oh my gosh. Okay. So basically you're, you put a positive association already in their brain. Cause that could be more than restaurants. That could be anything, but then you kind of flip the switch over like, okay, this is really positive. This is good going. Now here's this other thing. And does, that makes them way more, um, not fluid, but able to make that transition faster. And then yeah. so be open to it faster. Yeah, the electricity's already there. That's so cool. I didn't think about it like that before. When I, uh, when I teach uh, persuasion and influence to the government, the first slide on my entire presentation is a picture of a brain, hmm. a lightning bolt, a uh, serotonin molecule, a dopamine molecule, and a cortisol molecule. Or like, do you know what a benzene ring is? No. Little chemistry looking octagon things where they have carbon and hydrogen, oh, yeah. all that stuff. So I have the benzene rings for uh, serotonin, dopamine, cortisol, and a lightning bolt. And that's the first thing that I teach to anyone that's working in the government that's trying to learn persuasion or behavior profiling. The two things that you're controlling in another person, even if you're having a great conversation, I'm controlling chemicals and electricity. 
So this course is what I would say to, to a government class. This course is designed you is designed to make you guys be a little brain pharmacist and a brain electrician. So all you're doing is working on chemicals and electricity. So, and I'm not saying that I'm, the electricity I've sent into your restaurant memories actually stay there. It's just a really good way to visualize that. None of none of that is really going to stand up to academic scrutiny, but it, it makes sense that you've activated that memory. And there's a there's a ton of research called the law of associated states, so that if I can get you into one place, you're more likely to make a decision that I want you to make. That is that is absolutely fascinating. Where can okay, because I know one of the biggest things that people are fascinated by that, that you come up with or that you have you know research and made was that elemental table yes. how 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 does that how does that table work because i also know because i did a little research on it um i couldn't find like a f nice full picture of it but is it very scenario based is it very like if the, you know like formulaic what does it look like and how do you detail these things so this, uh, it's got another kick-ass origin story for that thing. But, yes, uh, please do. I'll do a really quick one. Uh, my mom and I, I was um, visiting my parents. My uh, dad had gone to bed. My mom and I were up, I think, having a glass of wine. We were watching The Bachelor. This was, I don't know, 10 years ago. Okay. When it, was, it was really cool. And uh, my mom was kind of going through I've never seen the show so she's going going through all these girls on The Bachelor and saying oh I like this girl uh, she's really honest oh this girl's a B just kind of going through all these girls and I was like man the, well, the one that you said was honest lied to him twice just a few minutes ago Whoa. and she's like oh my god Chase I wish I had your eyeballs so I could watch this show and just that that statement stuck with me and I laid in bed that night and I was like how how can I do that like, how can I fit all of my information, everything that I've ever learned on a single piece of paper? Wow. So in my mind, I was just making it for my mom at the beginning. And uh, now it turns out they're, they're using it to interrogate uh, people overseas. That's crazy. Um, but it was the, the behavioral table of elements is it kind of, I'll, I'll send you a high resolution copy for your listeners. It represents the periodic table and it's every just about every single behavior and gesture a person can make and it's gone from from the top of the table to the bottom is the top of the body to the to the feet and then outside of the body on the very bottom and the left of the behavioral table is the least deceptive or least stressful behaviors moving to the right side of the behavioral table is the most deceptive and most stressful and each one of the behaviors has a number on the bottom uh, which is called a deception rating scale number. And with what I've found to be more accurate uh, predictions than a polygraph during an interrogation if someone is being deceptive. Wow. Because, I mean, how vulnerable are we really to interpretation? Because I know a lot of people like to say, you know, I have a great poker face, you know, like, you know, I can be a stone wall when I need to. Can they really be? Or how, like, how vulnerable are we really? We are as vulnerable as uh, the electricity in our brains makes us. So that depends on the beginning conversation before an interrogation happens, before a poker game happens. And the amount of deceptive behaviors a person displays is usually dependent on the stakes. So if I'm interviewing a pedophile uh, who's facing uh, 25 years uh, in prison, uh, the stakes are high. 
And if I'm asking the kids uh, who spilled grape juice on the living room rug, the stakes are pretty low. Mm -hmm. At that point, then you move into interrogation tactics. So the tactics take place when someone is stoic. So just as an example, uh, if there's there's grape juice on the carpet, you separate the kids. And uh, I say, uh, my son, I say, hey, uh, what do you think should happen to the person who spilled the grape juice? And uh, he goes, uh, huge uh, spankings, grounded for a year, no more Xbox, uh, no more internet, I can never watch YouTube again. Then I ask my daughter and she says, uh, no grape juice for two days. You can kind of get an idea <laughs> uh, of that. And, then, and the same yeah. thing works like uh, if if you are interviewing someone who is a potential sex offender or a, a pedophile, you're interviewing them. And you say, what do you think should happen to the person who abused uh, Jennifer? And he says, well, you know, certainly not jail time. Uh, but definitely, you know, the person needs help. The person should definitely make an apology to the family. Uh, but they obviously need some kind of counseling. Definitely an apology, though. And you'll get answers like that. Mm. So it works whether you're four years old or 50. That's insane. Because you can't. That is, that's an extremely smart thing to do because you can't go on wet. Because if I did spill the grape juice, if I really did say, you know, just to trick you, be like, oh, all of this, you know, all these awful things, all the grounding should happen. Like, and then you figure out I did it. Well, now I'm gonna get what I asked for because I yeah. thought it was appropriate. Yeah. That is that is extremely smart. I love, oh, sorry, I love the, I love the visualization. Uh, Philip Houston that, that uh, originally published that question, it's called the punishment question in uh, interrogation training. And is that what your the periodic table is mainly based off of? The periodic table is based off of my my research, and it's 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 my creation. And um, it, that periodic table, the bibliography for the the behavioral table of elements is 121 pages long. It's based off of wow. a tremendous amount of research, and it gets updated probably every four to five months uh, when new behavioral research comes out. These number the little numbers change, the symbols change. But literally, it's a, it's a free download. Um, but if, if your audience wants the interactive version and they want to really get good at, at reading people, there's a, there's a downloadable version. If you buy my book on Amazon, it's 28 bucks. Uh, you get this 15 years of research into behavior for free uh, once you buy the book. So, and you hover over one of the behaviors, like one of them is a shoulder shrug. You just hover the mouse over that and it brings up the entire description of what a shoulder shrug means and the different variations of it and uh, whether or not it's used more commonly in the Ukraine or Saudi Arabia or whether men or women are more likely to do it. That's incredible. So unfortunately, we are running out of time. So um, where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find all of your work so they can further dive into this? Well, you can just Google Chase Hughes or our website is Ellipsis behavior.com all right chase once again thank you so much for being on i feel like the audience got and i did too so much out of this thanks Abe. i'm glad to help you out and i'm, I'm really proud of what you're doing uh, especially with starting out so young and i think you're going to make a really positive impact on the world hey guys i really hope you enjoyed that conversation if you like what we're doing please help us grow by sharing our content and if you have any recommendation for future guests 
please email me at agwetrick at gmail.com.